2: And I'm gonna feed it into this special supercomputer to see if it makes sense. Here we go. 58008. What does that mean?
0: Turn it upside down. That's what I think of them all. Roll on June
2: 23rd. But what about the calculation?
0: I hope Europe explodes and you all die.
2: Oh. Hello, and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, episode 13. Unlucky for some, especially me, as I'm still tin and do yet. Um, This week, uh, I am a little (laughs) horse. No, not like that. Uh, More in the way that everything in this week's episode may sound a little bit more jazzy than normal. But I guess that would make a nice change, as normally it's just me complaining about the blues. This week I'm interviewing journalist and organiser of the resigned Cameron protests that happened recently, Abby Wilkinson, Uh, with or without EU returns. Hooray! And yes, still with that jingle that you all love almost as much as the actual campaigns. And I'll be looking at Culture Secretary John Whittingdale, though not directly, as I've heard that that makes you ill. I'm sure you spent the last week doing really important things like flying small drones into planes or perhaps making preparations for the Queen's 90th birthday celebrations by, you know, hiding your young in case she decides to choose them as her next host body. Or maybe you've spent days being really excited about watching the battle against Galactic Evil from your own living room. No, not getting Star Wars Force Awakens on Blu-ray, I mean the Queen's 90th birthday again. Well, I've spent a lot of time over the last few days looking at all the candidates for the London mayoral election after the little booklet came through my door explaining who does what and who wants to do what as well. Um, Well, firstly, there's a frightening amount of far-right candidates uh, all the way from the Britain First candidate whose blurb starts with, I'm not like other politicians, by which I assume he means that most politicians aren't racist. And then there's the UKIP candidate, who tries to charm us by saying, This is a wonderful city, but it has huge problems too. There is a chronic housing shortage, immigration is out of control, and violent crime is on the rise. So not really a wonderful city then, is it? I mean, you may as well just put, this is a terrible city, run, run while you can, it's full of immigrants, and then just leave it at that. That would be a lot more truthful for the UKIP candidate. And then there's a VMP candidate who's got a very badly photoshopped picture with two glamorous women that makes it look like some sort of cheap poster for an adult pantomime. And then, there's a lot of comments on it from various awful supporters, including one from someone called Christine Freeman, who says, My Irish roots are important to me, and I want my children to be able to be proud of their British identity too. That's why I'm voting BNP. Brilliant. A nationalist that doesn't seem to understand nationalism. She's proud of her Irish roots so wants her children to be proud of their British identity too. How incredibly insulting to all Irish people everywhere. I don't want to make this podcast London-centric, but I will be talking more about the mayoral elections next week, as I think, whether we like it or not, the outcome of that does have some effect on the rest of the UK, even if it's just denoting what aspect of the new mayor everyone else can use to laugh at us Londoners with. Uh, I'm going to look at local elections too, especially in Scotland and Wales, but as I live in London, if there's any aspects of your local elections that you think I should talk about, please do drop me a line and let me know. Also, and thanks as always for listening to this show, uh, I noticed that me banging on about reviewing the show on iTunes last week led to several new nice reviews. So, learning something from other current political campaigns, I thought I'd try scaring you into doing it this week. If you don't review this show on iTunes, you'll be more prone to terror, especially on Halloween, and there'll be a general downturn if you turn anything upside down. Yeah, there. Hopefully you'll all be rushing to iTunes straight away. Right, let's get on with it. Headlines. Health Secretary and ideal Would I Lie to You opponent Jeremy Hunt is under more pressure to U-turn on his proposed junior doctor death rip. sorry, contract, after a legal challenge against the contract starts in the High Court this week. The case will determine whether Hunt was in breach of his powers by saying he'll impose the new contract without negotiations. The Guardian reported that Jeremy Hunt has made changes in his approach to the contract. And even though Hunt took to Twitter last night denying this, he has started to say that he's introducing the contract in August rather than imposing it, which is a very different thing. I mean, imposing means you have to have it and it's forced upon you. Whereas if something's introduced, I mean, you can refuse to shake its hand and hope it goes away without trying any small talk. Or, in the case of some of my comedy gigs, you can be introduced on stage to complete and utter indifference and silence and have to leave after 20 minutes before the next act walks on stage and either suffers the same or makes you look even worse by absolutely smashing it. There is another 48-hour junior Doctor Strike on April 26th and 27th, which will involve a full walkout for the very first time. Let's hope Jeremy Hunt is introduced to some sense before then. If not, then good luck again to the doctors, and I do hope the High Court can impose something on him to sort this out instead. The Labour Party have been criticised of snobbery by, yeah, you've guessed it, other people in the Labour Party, in a continuation of the sort of infighting that's making people in Syria wonder if they need to start an appeal to save them. This time it's due to Labour's National Executive Committee rejecting an application from McDonald's, the Big McD's, to have a stand at their party conference in Liverpool. McDonald's have said that they're disappointed with the decision, which means that they finally understand how everyone else feels about an hour after having an Egg McMuffin. They'd wanted to host an interactive experience display in support of British farm produce, which I'm guessing would have mostly focused on how all McDonald's food contains all the bits that British farms plan to throw away. Both Labour MPs Wes Streeting and former MP Ian Austin have said that Labour are throwing away 30 grand of sponsorship by rejecting McDonald's and that it smacks of a snobby attitude towards fast food restaurants. And obviously, a company that makes obesity creating fast food thrives on low wages and in the US is completely anti union and is run by a really terrifying clown. I mean, that is the sort of ethics that Labour want to have. Hopefully, label will get some sense and get McDonald's back on board, and then as well have entire displays run by Coca-Cola in support of the need for healthcare. Nestle, maybe, uh, all about parental support and baby care, and then various companies from the torture trade to host an interactive experience in support of the electricity industry. Chancellor of Germany and beanie baby turtle but giant Angela Merkel has tried her best to bring back the usually incorrect stereotype that Germans have no sense of humour by prosecuting a comedian for making a satirical poem on late night TV. Turkish President Erdogan, who the poem was about, requested the arrest of comedian Jan Bohemian after he read lines about him repressing minorities and having sex with goats. Which critics, I mean Erdogan in Turkey, and members of Merkel's party in Germany said wasn't satire. Which, to be fair, they might be right about, because the repressing minorities uh, isn't really satire, as it's 100% something that President Erdogan actually does. In the same way, it wouldn't be satire accusing Erdogan of electoral fraud, media and internet censorship, blaming dodgy electrical blackouts during voting on a cat, or calling for arrests on anyone who signed a petition calling for a peaceful inter-military crackdown on Kurdish towns. I mean, it's really hard to make something up about someone who's already done a lot of the sort of terrible things that you'd usually make up about someone. The prosecution of Boerman fits more with Erdogan's regime than Merkel's, and it seems that Merkel's completely forgotten about marching in Paris last year for freedom of speech after the attack on the Ebdö office. She's gone far less Je suis Charlie and far more Je suis Erdogan, which, to be fair, I wouldn't do if I was her, as I hear he represses minorities and has sex with goats. <laughs> I'm not sure what's worse. Having a campaign group who want press to stop invading people's privacy demand that your private love life goes in the press because it's a cover-up, or to have those same papers print details of your private love life as part of a story saying how they didn't want to print it because it was too boring. Either way, Culture Secretary and melted waxwork of Anne Robinson, John Whittingdale, has had both this week. Campaign group HackToff said that the press didn't report the stories of Whittingdale's affairs with a dominatrix or a former porn star because of his influence over press regulation and they claimed it was all part of a big conspiracy. So they're very much saying we want to make sure the press are no longer spying on people by proving that they are happy to spy on an MP, which is a very odd way to do it. But many of the tabloids have said actually it's because the story wasn't very interesting. So I think a better defence for them would have been, we don't want responsibility for that many people being sick imagining that O-face. Because while it is a sex story, which them tabloids bloody love don't they, they bloody love them sex stories, it's not a particularly glamorous one, or an illicit one, and nor does it contradict or affect anything Whittingdale is involved with or works on. I mean, in fact, the two most interesting bits of the story were that John Whittingdale didn't realise one of his partners was a sex worker, which makes you wonder if all his previous partners sort of felt that he probably should have to pay for it when they have to see that O face. And that when dating the former porn star, John Whittingdale told her on the first date that he was an arms dealer. Which goes to show that even in his mind, being a Tory MP is less attractive and a more evil job than selling guns and bombs that kill children. Actually, uh, that's not true. Those aren't the most interesting bits of the story. The most concerning elements are that John Whittingdale may have shown confidential documents to his lovers and that he may have used expenses to take them out on dates. It also turns out another of his ex-girlfriends is the daughter of a Soviet military officer and now intelligence services are going to be probing Whittingdale for more details. Which, considering his record of partners, probing is probably the sort of thing that he's really, really into and will really enjoy. The thing is, press regulation is still very important, but it's not really relevant to this story. In fact, in all of the questioning as to whether or not these relationships are a conflict of interest for John Whittingdale's job as Secretary of State for Culture, Media and Sport, no one at any point asks about the proper conflict of interest in all of his career, like his strong personal links to the world's richest talking testicle, Rupert Murdoch. Especially when Whittingdale led the investigation into the News of the World's phone hacking scandal, you know, News of the World owned by Rupert Murdoch, and involving several people, like Rebecca Brooks, that John Whittingdale met with many, many times before. I mean, is it a conflict of interest that Whittingdale is now in charge of the reform at the BBC, when Rupert Murdoch has also attacked the BBC many, many times? Is it a conflict of interest that Whittingdale has also attacked the BBC of his own accord, once claiming that the BBC was worse than poll tax? Which isn't true, because can't pay, won't pay was a lot more depressing than can't cook, won't cook. Whittingdale's current plans to improve the BBC include 20% cuts across the board, outsourcing multi-award-winning CBBC and local news, selling off stakes in all of BBC's assets including Dave and UK TV, and having government-appointed members of a new BBC trust board. Because, you know, there aren't enough people in television who don't know what they're doing already. There's very few things that you can improve by dismantling them. Except maybe IKEA products, which quickly go from useless furniture into semi-decent firewood with just a few smashes of a hammer. Even then, I'm pretty sure Whittingdale would take apart the IKEA furniture, replacing bits with things that definitely weren't furniture like shoes or pineapples, and then complain that it wasn't attracting enough people to sit on it anymore. So ultimately, press regulation is, as I said, very important, and as is privacy, and yes, it's really important to report on MPs' lives, if it might be at odds with their parliamentary positions, and yes, it is sort of nicely nostalgic to have a political sex scandal that involves another person rather than a pig, for once. But really, it would be nice if the whole world was a little less focused on how often Whittingdale is screwing the BBC instead. It's now been a couple of weeks since we found out that David Cameron's dad liked to send his money on a much nicer holiday than I'll ever be able to afford to go on. Evidence that the Prime Minister actively intervened in an EU drive to clamp down on tax avoidance have added also to the very bad impression that he made spending a week trying to remember just how many thousands of pounds better off he is because of tax avoidance. And so, Dave's popularity has slipped down the poles like a very tired fireman, and the last two weekends have seen large demonstrations in central London, full of people hugely displeased that our head of government is the sort of person who thinks something-for-nothing culture isn't fair, but gaining from tax avoidance is. And I suppose, I, I mean, you know, let's be fair, I guess it must be really hard work trying to remember just how much money you've got when some of it's abroad. This week, I spoke to Abby Wilkinson all about the Panama Papers scandal. Abby is an excellent journalist who writes about many a political issue for papers such as The Guardian, Mirror, Telegraph, and sites like the IB Times. Abby organized the resigned Cameron Barch that took place a couple of weeks ago in central London that was attended by several thousand protesters. So I thought who better to give a few thoughts on Dave's moral wrongdoings than her? Abby had a few internet issues, so this was recorded over the phone, hence some crackles and pops, but no snaps or other serial based sounds. Here's Abby. So um, a couple of Saturdays ago, uh, you organised uh, a mass demonstration, uh, which I have to say, I was very sad that I couldn't come to, um, calling for David Cameron to resign. Why, why did you do that? And why do you think now is the right time rather than pretty much every day for the last six years?
1: Um, so for me, the focus um, wasn't so much on resignation. I, I decided to call the protest because... Um, the FT had a story uh, where they revealed that David Cameron had personally intervened to weaken an EU crackdown um, on tax evasion and money laundering, and um, to protect um, to sort of like uh, protect, trans- protect trusts from transparency requirements. Um, which you know a lot of experts, a lot of different European politicians have said enables tax evasion. Um, his justification for doing that was that he he said that trusts are important to help families manage. Um, inheritance, which I, I don't know about you, but not any families I know. Like it's ba- Basically, he, um, he's talking about a very small number of families anyway, he's used this way, um, and it and there was a justification for, you know, really standing in the way of this attack crowd, and I was angry about that. A lot of people got involved, and I think they sort of figured this was the last straw, and they just didn't trust David Cameron's credibility anymore demand was just to play the loopholes
2: really right because i mean it, yeah it was it was very interesting the way in which he even admitted to benefiting from any offshore funds at all anyway wasn't it it took him about a week to yeah to he own up clear, to that
1: he was clearly hoping the story would go away generally which is why i thought it was really important to make some noise about it
2: yeah definitely um, but it's
1: not yeah, it's not—it's not, it's very much not just about his personal um, tax affairs, or his family's tax affairs. I think that's a bit of a distraction from what he did as, you know, as a politician. It's about the wider problem. It's about he, you know, as um, prime minister, he should be like, and he's been telling us he, he's been working to crack down on tax avoidance, and tax evasion. And then we find out that um, despite, you know, all the rhetoric, he's been doing exactly the opposite. But
2: or do at least, you think... Yeah. Do you think that's? Uh, I mean, one of the things that I, I think I've got from this kind of Panama Papers story is how embedded in tax avoidance culture we are here. Um, I mean, I was yes. sort of looking at like Iceland and their prime minister stepped aside and then looked over to Cameron and thought, "You're not. He's not even apologised, You know, um, yeah. It seems very sort of inherent. Do you, do you think that's that's a problem that we have here?
1: Well, I, I think one of the interesting things about the um, Panama Papers. Um, is that over half of the 300,000 companies implicated are actually based in um, UK Crown territories, which is mad because it isn't a law firm that has any particular link to the UK. It's, you know, it's fourth biggest law firm. It's not, there's no reason we should be so overrepresented, but it's just because, um, yeah, we're, we're sort of at the centre of the global tax avoidance network, really, which is, I mean I mean really like it's it's that's why I thought it was so important to put pressure on David Cameron because it's, it's not even just about the UK and our kind of revenues. It's like we owe it to the world. If you if you look at some of the stuff that came out from the Panama papers, it's um, you know, money laundering, money from um child sex trafficking, it's money from arms deals, it's money being stolen from African countries that's needed to pay you know for healthcare and all these basic things. Um and they do it through our Crown Territories.
2: Well, I didn't realise it's quite so, quite so much of it is from really illegal activities. I didn't realise that.
1: Um, that. The thing about lack of transparency is you can't tell what's going on. You know, it's not, it's not just about that. It's about, it's about tax avoid, aggressive tax avoidance, but it's also about tax evasion, which is illegal, and, um, yeah, laundering money from all kinds of dodgy things. Um, and really, we, yeah, we need transparency because we need to be able to see what's going on and what money's going where.
2: But would the... I mean, because obviously they've all now released their tax returns and that's been the big thing of the past week or so. Yeah. But the tax returns wouldn't show avoided sums in the first place, would they? So is that helpful?
1: Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm no tax lawyer. Um, as I understand it, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily going to, you know, it's not going to show illegal activity. But it's also, I think the interesting thing is, um, you can't even know if they're telling the truth because, um. So, of a tax inspector can't legally dispute, you know, if someone puts something out, that it's false. Like, it's, it's a private matter, so people can put anything out. Um, but beyond that, I think I think it's a real distraction to make it about MPs' person, personal tax affairs when it's really about what they do as politicians. Um, that's not a problem with David Cameron. It's what David Cameron, the prime minister, does. Like, I'm, I'm not a fan of David Cameron, the man. <laughs> but it, it's David Cameron, the politician, that I think really matters. It's a it's system. It's not... Yeah, it basically, it needs to be impossible for people to exploit these loopholes. It's not about whether the individuals are doing it. It's about the job of the politicians is to make it not happen, not possible. Okay, obviously, it gives, you know, people might feel that David Cameron's sort of family link, that they might sort of think gives extra reason to question his commitment. But I really think um, if we're going to wonder about why David Cameron might be resisting of trust, I think it's probably um makes a lot of sense to look at the number of um tory donors made in the panama papers um i think there are reasons to suspect maybe they want to keep their rich party donors happy and that's why they need some things Um sure. that seems like more of an issue to me than his family
2: yeah definitely um that's yeah i'm guessing because uh, we obviously there's 11.5 million documents and they haven't all been read through yet but i'm guessing there's already evidence of quite a few Tory donors in there. Lots of,
1: yeah, um, I've forgotten there's one family who personally supported David Cameron's bid for leader. Um, I've been waiting for a follow-up story on that. I've not seen one yet. The Fleming family, um, who helped bankroll Cameron's bid for the leadership of the Conservatives, um, and they've given the party millions, used um, used the, um, yeah, they were the heavily integrated. Um
2: so it's not, just, uh, it's not just Cameron's family, it's, all, it's also an awful lot of people that have supported him and donated. Yeah.
1: This now, Nate, the family office has registered at least 18 Mossack Fonseca companies
2: from its Lichtenstein
1: office, um, which doesn't sound legit, does it? No. So that's, that's what I, I'm, I'm, I've been, you know, waiting for some more information on this, because
2: I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. Because well, they said that the, the, one of the heads of uh chiefs at HMRC used to work for Mossack Fonseca as well, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it's it's one one of those things where um it's if you're not an expert and you've not got all this, and you're not working on it, it's difficult to you know. But, but I think you can have a sense that something's clearly not right here without having to like understand all of the details. And I think a lot of people are trying to tell us that if you don't you know, understand all of the details on technicalities of tax law, but you, you can't have an opinion where, at, in actual fact, ordinary people can sort of say, Well, you know, I pay my tax in the spirit of the law. Well, why should they, why, you know, why should these people like do all these clever accounting tricks and pay like a small portion of their income in tax than me? Like, you don't have to be an expert to know that it's not right.
2: I do think. you think it's, I mean, do you think people's attitudes towards tax avoidance have changed because of this?
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think tax. Um, avoidance has really, um, you know, become a mainstream political issue in recent years, and I think activist groups like you, you and Kurt, have really, you know, really helped with that. Um, and maybe, hopefully, the tide is turning. Although, you know, I, I just wish we could trust our own our own government a little bit more on this.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I find quite hard uh, is. You know, it, there seems to be, especially because I do some stuff about tax avoidance in my stand-up, and I find audiences have got a real resentment about paying tax in the first place, and seem to be very pleased, you know, whenever the government offers tax cuts. So, yeah, you know, it, it seems like there's a there's a real, I don't know, uh, feeling that that tax is a bad thing, which it seems strange considering how much it supports and how much we need it. Yeah,
1: I think there's I think there's two things going on, and the first thing is. Um, you know, the, the first thing is people are a lot... I think people are more happy about paying into the system if they think the system's fair.
0: Mm.
1: And then think it's operating how it should. And if you see people, you know, people at the top with lots and lots of money not paying, it, it's like, well, why should I contribute? And I think another thing is we don't fully appreciate how much the state provides. Um, You know, if you get ill, who looks after you? If you own a business, who, like, looks after you? just staff like who educates us, people that the roads we drive on. Like you can't you know, you can't you can't function without being part of society like to fund that side you need to pay taxes. It shouldn't it's a weird one, isn't it? It should not be a controversial. But I think, you know, maybe it'd be less controversial people felt the system was fair and, you know, in in recent budgets we've had cuts to capital gain tax gains tax, cuts to inheritance tax that only benefits as well percent um and at, at the same time people you know lower down the income spectrum are really struggling so I, d- I do understand why people who are struggling might resent you know the fee
2: might feel that everyone's not paying their fair share at the moment yeah it is uh i mean i do feel that as well that I, as much as i'm very happy to pay my tax every year there's a bit of me going i don't want to give it to this government can i save it until one i like you know and then i'll give them a lump sum later on that would be much better um mm-hmm. if only that were the case yeah. um yeah, I mean, because it's it's really odd the way that the government talk about being against tax avoidance and sort of being against aspiration uh, is one of the things. That's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's um, it's I to me, you know, part of aspiration is we we want the kind of infrastructure so that people can achieve whether or not they're born into money, and that means we need tax money to fund education. We need tax money to you know fund fund all kinds of things. Um, so to to me, sort of. Draining the state of essential resources that's anti aspiration,
2: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's, I mean, asp- aspiration as well, I think, for me, doesn't you know, I think being given money in the first place kind of gets rid of aspiration. I'd uh, have thought,
1: yeah, well, it's certainly it's, 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 it, whether or not it inspires the people who get it, it certainly stacks the deck against you know, most everyone else. And um, I don't think, I don't think necessarily the people who happen to be born into money are the best you know the people who are going to have the best ideas and be the most productive and set up the best businesses um you need to be it it's good for the whole country
2: yeah definitely I, I completely agree um do you do you think that because this has been such a huge story in the last few weeks and i mean you you got uh, you got several thousand on, on your demo didn't you a couple of weeks ago yeah and then i know there was another one again this weekend that joined with the people's assembly one is that right
1: yeah, there was a really big one this weekend. Um, I think I've seen reports of you know 100, 200,000. Um, that was that was. Um, yeah, I mean that that was that was the um, yeah. It joined with the People's Assembly, who obviously got a lot of people out. But I, th- I think the, the, the kind of the issues are linked. The People's Assembly march was about jobs and home, education and health, and um, tax avoidance and tax evasion are really related to that because um, what I'm angry about is that these people are. You know, starving the state of the money that's needed to fund these things, and then we've got a government saying, you know, we can't possibly afford to fund this We have to make these cuts. It's like you're not not even trying to collect tax money. How can you say? How can you say we can't afford these things? Like you just don't care. It's like we can absolutely absolutely afford these things.
2: Yeah, if they, if we, if we claimed all the, I, I I don't know the exact figures, but I presume if we, if we claim back all the tax that was avoided, that would go quite a long way to tackling. Or but replacing I mean, the
1: cuts. It's, it's it's beyond even that. It's like it's it's an ideological project anyway. Um, you know the last the last budget that was an entirely entirely unnecessary um, capital gains tax cut, entirely unnecessary inheritance tax cut. Um, there's, but this the kind of the tax avoidance issue just makes it even more obvious that they're just not. You know, um, austerity is ideological, deliberate. It's a choice. It's very much not. You know, a tough
2: difficult decision taken because there's no other options. There's, that's um, something that I've sort of seen quite a lot of people talk about lately, uh, and I went to sort of a panel about this recently, but the, the fact that, you know, we are stuck in this kind of ideology at the moment in, in neoliberalism, which is obviously not working and people are suffering because of it. And we've had the global crash and we're probably going to hmm. have another one, but there isn't anything to replace it with yet. So, I mean, do you think that's the case? And and what should oh. we do until something does appear? Well, I, I think, I think,
1: um, in a UK politics perspective, I, I think this is sort of the crisis that's facing the Labour Party at the moment. Like, basically, you know, everything New Labour were saying about financial regulation doesn't make sense anymore. Um, but they're sort of not, they're not sure what they're going to say instead. I think, the, I think the tide is turning globally on financial regulation. People, people are realising that they made a massive mistake. So, yeah, I, I, it's, 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 it's difficult for the sort of, like, the left to, use, yeah, at the moment, we're sort of trying to develop a coherent sort of alternative message and strategy, aren't we? Um, and something has to give. Like, I, I, do, I do feel like this is, like, a, a real change period, like, you know, post-2008.
2: Yeah, I mean, you must, yeah, you must be able to sense it, sort of, I mean, just with... Uh, we've got Jeremy Corbyn here, and obviously there's there's Bernie Sanders in the States, It does, feel, mm. and, and sadly Trump in the States, but, you know, yeah. it does feel like people want something else now.
1: Yeah, that, 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 that's kind of the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, there's this, these sort of, like, left candidates, but there's also um, kind of populist nationalist candidates. It's like a kind of real rejection of the mainstream from a decent chunk of the population, because I think, yeah, there's like, you know, I think people feel lied to, I think they feel that all the promises that were made about, um, you know, this is going to drive prosperity for everyone, everything's going to trickle down, we're all going to be better, have a country for everyone. Um, and that they're looking for something different. And I don't even think it has to be something dramatically different. <laughs> like, I, I just think, like, like, to, to, to me, I think, you know, let's, let's um, regulate things properly, let's make people pay their taxes, let's redistribute a little bit more. That's, like, that's not radical. It's just... It's quite reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, A lot, a, a lot, a lot of the reaction to it. Um, it kind of as if it's unreasonable, which is um, like 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 Bernie Sanders talks about um breaking up the bank, and uh, you get a lot of people saying, you know, you can't, you can't break up the bank. It doesn't help to do it. And then you, you list the financial experts and they're like, he absolutely can. Like, you know, he doesn't know how these things are possible. and, um, you know, your know, politicians still do have power. <laughs> Um, it's yeah. There's a lot, a lot of things that are kind of ideological, seem to be taken as like the nat- the natural order of things, um, and I think there's growing kind of public suspicion about that.
2: But then I, I guess we're we're often told, especially sort of uh, by a lot of media outlets, that things shouldn't change, or that if they change, it's going to be bad for us. And so I, I guess that gets into people's heads. I
1: yeah. like which, which sort of things.
2: I mean, just like you were saying with with the Sanders thing of regulating the banks, but we've got, um, you know, I mean, like Labour here, constantly, whatever they do or propose is pretty much being slammed by the press. Um, yeah. And whether or not all those things that they're proposing are good or, or not, it doesn't feel like they'd get through even if they were a correct it's, idea, it's, you know.
1: It's really interesting. I, I feel like I've, like, um, following both kind of political commentary and kind of expert economic commentary. So I feel like kind of political commentators, even though you know, sent a letter, are
0: a lot more kind of small conservative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Giggy Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh.
1: finance commentary I've been reading right now I'm finding it quite um quite bizarre <laughs> like um I think yeah I think things are possible and I think you know maybe people who are paying attention recognize something has changed
2: we'll get back to Abby in just a minute but first it's time for the dreaded return of with or without you with or without you Yes, the EU referendum looms, but we still don't have any idea what sort of basket will come from it. The official campaigns have been selected, with Stronger In being the Remain party and Vote Leave being selected as Team Brexit. Which, of course, once again means Nigel Farage has kept up his defeated streak as his Grassroots Out campaign wasn't chosen. Nigel has now successfully lost at two general elections, and now this, proving that he is the very, very ugly frog bridesmaid of politics, a wedding that no one invited him to be at in the first place. Goiter with a face Farage has already embraced the Vote Leave campaign, though, doing more completely false scaremongering about Turkey, which, if you go back to episode four of our show, you can hear some facts about, and accusing Obama of being the most anti-British US president in history, proving that Nige has never, ever heard of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or the entire War of Independence. Though, I suppose that would require Nigel Farage to have some knowledge of history, all of which would just lead him to realising how many of our English ancestors were immigrants to begin with. Uh, So I'm guessing he probably just steers clear of those books, hoping that if he hasn't read it, it didn't happen. Boris Johnson has also had a go at Barack Obama after the US president urged Britain to stay in Europe. Johnson said Obama was a hypocrite, and I guess I suppose it does take one to know one. Boris said that he was a hypocrite though, because he reckoned that the US would never ever give up his sovereignty. But I think he's wrong, because aside from the fact that the US is part of NATO and the World Trade Organization, it also sort of operates like 50 smaller, completely dysfunctional countries that somehow just about managed to work together. I mean, if you ever look at how Congress and state governance works, or rather doesn't over there, I think they all gave up sovereignty ages ago. Ian Botham has also spoken out for a Brexit, which is of course what we were all waiting for before we made our decision, eh? We were all waiting for Beefy Botham, a former cricketer who probably only really wants to leave the EU because its reduction in free movement might mean he has an even more greatly reduced chance of meeting someone who saw his manky dick pics on Twitter. On the other side of the France, sorry, fence. George Osborne has announced that a Brexit would cost average British households £4,300 a year and that the UK economy would be 6% smaller in 2030 than it would be if it was in Europe. Which, considering how badly George Osborne will have destroyed it by then, that 6% could kill it off completely. But it is nice of George to stand up for British households, or at least point out that actually it's his job to take away their income and how dare the Brexit campaign step on his shiny, shiny shoes. But considering how George Osborne has been doing with his forecasts and figures in the budget, you know, i.e. like he finds numbers hard once he can't count past them on his fingers, you have to wonder if this calculation is correct. The Treasury have released the equation that they used to come up with the 4,300 pounds figure, but unless you're a mathematician, then you, like me, will probably just see it as a lot of digits, several X's, and nowhere near enough Y's, considering how many I say on a daily basis whenever more EU campaign news appears. Also, it appears that Osborne has translated GDP into personal income, which no one does because it doesn't have any relation to it. Disposable income in the UK per household is £45,000 a year, but if you divide GDP to find household income, it's £68,000 a year. Although I suppose this could explain why Osborne really hasn't got a clue how little so many people earn. However, other economists say that while those Treasury figures might not be correct, many variations of projections say that leaving the EU would definitely leave us worse off financially, which I suppose may be partly to do with the fact that if we leave the EU, Osborne and all his dodgy maths will be left in charge of everything. Which was sort of Jeremy Corbyn's argument when he gave a pro-EU speech last week, causing many to say that his speech was completely insincere considering that he'd been quite anti-Europe in the past. However, Jezza did mention that in his speech, and what we've learned from his previous leadership choices is that he does change his mind sometimes while still retaining his original values. You know, I mean, like maybe, like Jeremy's views on the Trident submarines, he'll want us to stay in the EU, but get rid of everything in it. Hmm. But actually, as reasons to stay in the EU go, Jezza's reasoning that if we Brexit, the Conservatives will destroy workers' rights, is probably the best one so far. So if you want to prepare yourself for voting in the EU referendum, why not re-watch Sophie's Choice first? Although, as a Polish immigrant, Sophie wouldn't actually be allowed to vote on June the 23rd, which does make the whole thing even worse. So, nine weeks to go, that's one for every million pounds spent on a boring pro remain leaflet that went through your door that seems to be giving the argument that if we leave Europe, everything will be monochrome and patronising. I am very angry they spent so much taxpayers' money on those leaflets when it could have gone towards avoiding more public service cuts. And really, all they needed to do was a cheap photocopy of a pic of Nigel Farage standing next to George Galloway, and it would have done the job in seconds. And now, back to Abby and some chat about Labour. Do you think? I mean, do you think? Uh, and this is the, the question that I, I sort of hate to ask. It really because I, I'm 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 a, a Labour member, and I'm really hoping that we can we can have a different government in 2020. But I mean, do you, do you think Labour are capitalising on things like the Panama Papers properly? Are they? You know, uh, I mean, I felt as someone uh, personally, I you know, I I voted for Corbyn, and and I. Yeah. Do like a lot of what he does, and then there are moments when he's in Prime Minister's Questions and doesn't mention the Junior Doctors thing as it's happening. And I think, oh come on, it's not that hard. Yeah, um, you know, is it? Do you think that they're, I, they're, they're grasping I, at everything they can at the moment? Or? I, I'll
1: be, I'll be honest. Um, I, 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 I think Corbyn could have done better at times. Personally, I'm not going to pretend I'm not somewhat disappointed. In Corbyn, I did I didn't vote for him, but I sort of you know I was hoping that things would go better than they have done. But I I, I also think it's difficult because you know the party is in a state of civil war. He's he's kind of like um you know there's there's MPs um in other factions in his party were desperately um keen to get rid of the get rid of him undermine him any way they can and it's, it's sort of like i'm finding the whole thing deeply depressing mm. on all sides really um something hopefully has to get better i think um i think McDonnell has certainly upped his game recently um in terms of his media form and stuff which is um encouraging me a little bit
2: but yeah i, I well, it's, it's, it's hard it's not been mean... perfect has it like, no i, I, I mean I, I, I find it quite hard because he did say, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do attacking politics; I'm going to do new politics." But then the amount of times I see him in the Commons, I think, "Oh, just attack Cameron; it's really easy right now. Right now would be really easy." You I mean, know, surely, you know, surely, if you're principled, you should be trying to do your best
1: um, to actually win an election because that's what people—that's what people pick you for, right? Like, like people, people want you to make a difference, and I feel like maybe if he, you know, kind of just didn't have all the little battles try to avoid them and try to be a little bit savvy, then you could save it and you could fight the stuff that actually matters. And for sure, like, you know, the, you, you can sort of say, oh, you know, the media on you when it's unfair, but like part of the job of a labor leader is to
2: manage the media and to not give people lines of attack. Do you think there's, I mean, are there specific things you think that they should be focusing right now on right now?
1: I think um industry, steel, I think tax, um, the tax issue, like like obviously I'll say again, like the thing for me, David Cameron personally intervening um to protect trust from privacy, privacy requirements is mad to me. It seems mad to me that we just sort of accepted that our leader um actively worked against um a crackdown on tax evasion, tax avoidance and money laundering like this. I'm still doing it, it's not changed his tune post Panama papers or anything like that, He's still saying exactly the same thing apparently. Um but I mean, I suppose, I suppose, like he—he he is. He—he he does talk about housing. He does talk about um, education. He does talk about health. I, I guess the thing is, is it feels like the sort of like state's under attack from so many different angles at the moment. It's difficult to.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> difficult to say, this is the issue that.
2: I mean, that—that that uh, is, I think, a big uh, a big problem, uh, and I, I don't know if you've sort of found this. With people that you speak to, I mean, a lot of people I speak to, they've got so many things to worry about, and there's so much that seems to be going wrong. That I think people are almost uh, being selfish about it. You know, they're, they're they're concerned about the things that immediately affect them first because they have to be. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you do you do you have any sort of tips, maybe, of if people are feeling, feeling overwhelmed, what do you think is is a good I, idea for them to do?
1: I think. Um, I think the tax things matter. The tax thing matters because it's um, so. Yeah, until until David Cameron changes his um, position on trust transparency, we can't take him seriously when he says he wants to stop tax avoidance, wants to crack down on illicit money says, and he wants to, you know, he he wants to <laughs> make things fair. Um, I, 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 I guess more more, I just think try and ignore the fluff as much as possible um just this um the story about corbyn not what something about um there's, there's not going to be um mcdonald's stand at the labour party conference they've refused um 30 grand sponsorship money for mcdonald's which is apparently scandalous which is just—it's isn't it because it's the, the idea that um the default should be that you know, that the political parties accept corporate money and it's scandalous to not accept corporate money. It's like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> McDonald's give want to give thirty thousand pounds for a reason. It's like I've seen some sort of like Labour Party politicians suggesting it's free money. West Cheshire one, which is bizarre to me because um, that's not it's not free money. They want to have an influence. Um, they're a party that's currently not in the UK, but is involved in um, union smashing. They've been accused of, I think, like, large-scale tax avoidance. Um, there's, there's lots of reasons you might not want to take the, the money as a Labour Party. Um, I just feel I just, at the moment there's going to be you know, endless stupid stories. There was one this morning saying he doesn't want to meet Obama, and then it turns out yeah you know, his 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 office has said that's basically a fabrication yeah it's just endless ridiculous attacks on Corbyn as an individual and um, i think kind of distracts from the important role the labor party should be playing right now holding the government to account
2: yeah definitely there was the the one uh, last week that Jeremy Corbyn has earned one point six million in salary and then you check and you go, Yeah, it's over 30 yeah. 40 years. I mean <laughs> that, was,
1: that was hilarious, wasn't it? Jeremy Corbyn has been an MP for thirty years with that story and has earned an average MP salary. Um, it's just silly. It's just um, but I mean I, I, I guess when I guess when you when you get that from partisan papers, it's like fine, but it's a little bit disheartening when you know, his own MPs are (laughs) sort of giving quotes in support of these very silly stories. Um, I think, I understand, um, you know, the people in the Labour Party think Jamie Corbyn's bad for the electoral chances, they want him gone, but I don't think it's, I don't think it benefits the party at all to sort of, you know, you publicly tear
2: itself apart like
1: this. It's just disheartening, isn't it? I'm getting more disheartened even speaking about it
2: with you now. Yeah, I'm. So, I'm so sorry to ask. It, it, it disheartens me as well. And I, I also think it's interesting you say because I think they, they say, oh, he's bad for their ele- election chances. But then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they say that out loud, people will yeah. believe that it is bad for yeah, their election well, chances. So it's,
1: he's not. He's not been perfect, but it is. You know, it's obviously it does contribute. Um, to the Labour Party, not looking very electable, and Corbyn, not looking very electable. Um, I, it's, it's yeah, it's all, and it's, it's all, um, yeah. It's, like, it's hard to know, isn't it, how things will be in sort of an alternative reality? But I, ho- hopefully, they can pull themselves together in some shape or form by 2020, because, Um, yeah, it matters a lot. The longer this government is allowed to do these things, it yeah, like, that's, I don't that's know, like, it matter It matters. It matters to everyone who's like. You know, to everyone who's hit by the bedroom You It's not know, like listening to endless like people who um, suffer under the Conservative government. And I, I do sort of wish Labour could present something of the united Fund.
2: Yeah, definitely. That's what my my fingers are keeping across that we've got four and a half years. Hopefully, in that time, they can get on and have a conversation within their own party.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I think. Um, I think even. I think whether or not Corbyn stays, the, the the sort of battle is it's about more than just Corbyn. It's about defining the kind of post-New Labour identity of the Labour Party. Um, so it's you know it's about his successor as much as anything else, and you know kind of where they are on the spectrum. And uh, <laughs> it is it's, I don't I don't even it's it's hard to know who might be a leadership candidate. who might you know might appeal to a wide enough. Caution as a party to make people pull together. Um so I, I, that's amazing. When, when Corbyn has the backing of you know most of the membership who voted like, for him, then he, I, I don't really understand what what attempting to get rid of him. Like you can't, you, you know what I mean. You can't ignore your membership. So
2: yeah, and
1: just, he just seems. one seems to have a plan. Like I, it just seems like. Just who, so and tactical. who would you
2: replace him with? That's that's the. I mean, I, I can't think of anyone that would fill his and, uh, shoes well at the moment and not disappoint a large number of the members, you know?
1: No. Um, I mean, there are, there are politicians, are kind of soft-left kind of politicians who, who I personally like. Um, some of them are quite, you know, new insight, 2010, 2015. I, sort of, I don't want to say a name, but I, I don't like to one particular particularly. Sure. Um, it's not obvious anyone's trying to do that um But I don't know. We have to, be, <laughs> we have to
2: stay hopeful. Yeah,
1: I indeed. mean, do you, do you have it? Do
2: you have someone you? No, no, I don't. I really don't. And I mean, you know, I think that the the, the thing I think with the with the leadership election out of those four that we were given, I don't know. You know, I don't know why you'd have picked the other three at all, which people no. didn't. And so when everyone was, you know, when the, when the the candidates, or sorry, when the the PLP members were going, oh, we, you know, we can't have Corbyn, and you go, well, you. You couldn't have had Burnham or Cooper or Kendall, either yeah I don't think that would have helped anything at all
1: well, it was, um it was that um welfare bill abstention was um that was a terrible decision, wasn't it by Harry Harlem mm. because um, yeah because I think I think that's. At that point, people felt like you know, if these candidates wouldn't represent me on this, then what are they asking me to vote for? Um, Corbyn was the only one who seemed who like I think a lot of members felt you know ca- cared about <laughs> cared about the basic issues. Um, I mean, the extent to which that's true or not, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's a feeling, and I, I think that was um, I, I wish I wish Corbyn's critics would recognise the extent to which they um, are the architects of the current situation. A bit of humility would be nicer, um, and I, I, yeah, <laughs> like it's hard to. I'm sorry, I'm just sinking into the space. It's, like it's hard. It's hard to. Um, it's hard. It's hard to see a way out of it at the moment, isn't it? It's hard.
2: It's hard to it see. Is. It I mean, is. But then,
1: it's what... hard to need to vision and an identity, and not kind of
2: what the battle is about. But you, you mentioned, just, just to give some sort of hope to the listeners of this podcast, um, you mentioned uh, UK and Cut earlier, who I know are fantastic. Are there other mm. groups or other things that they could take part um, in or look up if they're interested in, um, you know, having some hope, I suppose, other more than anything else? Um, I think disabled people
1: against...
2: Dpac. disabled people against cuts, is that the one?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, disabled people against... Cut um, sisters and sisters uncut are great as well. There's lots of kind of um I think there's lots of kind of grassy anti austerity groups that are worth checking out. I yeah, I mean, yeah, People's Assembly March was great, they got a lot of people out there. There's lots of um there's lo- there's lots of people saying the right things. We could we could just do with a um Labour party that will pull together and actually represent these people politically.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm being a real downer, aren't I? <laughs> no, that's
2: all right. That's all right. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, everybody I interview on this show uh, ends up. It, we, we end up finishing the interview, going, "Oh, that's really bleak, isn't it? Oh, good, well done, everyone. Have a nice week." <laughs> and then, so that's why I was sort of, if there's if there's anything for people to look up or do, um, that's always a, a, a nice a nice thing to give a little bit of yeah, sorry, hope into their lives. Disabled, I think. Yeah. So I was,
1: yeah, disabled people get the cuts. This is uncut. Um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's all kinds of like graphic campaigns going on. There's, um, you know, save libraries. You know, like at a local level, people are resisting. You know, all all kinds of government cuts, but we do need <laughs> we do need the Labour Party to do its job.
2: Definitely definitely um okay i've got a couple of very quick questions for you uh and then uh this is a quick i mean i say this is a quick one it it isn't really um are you in or out for the eu what are you going for
1: i'm in because um i i i i'm in because i think um the economic risk of leaving is is um you know i, I believe it I can see I'm I'm in because um I do believe in a free movement of people. Which, um and I'm also in because um I like belonging to a larger organization that's made up of um lots of countries that seem to have elected more left wing governments than us. Like I, I don't um I I can understand the left wing um, argument for Brexit. I just don't trust that's how it would actually play out. Um, I think you know, um, they being in the EU protects our employment rights. Um, yeah, I prefer. Mean, I, I, I prefer, prefer them to be
2: higher powers than the Tories apart from anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've I've had that thought as well. Uh, definitely, I uh, don't don't just leave these guys in charge, of us. that would be terrible. <laughs> definitely, um, cool. That was actually, I, I'm impressed with how quickly you answered that as well. That was good. That was brilliant. Um, and one very last silly question. Um, uh Dennis Skinner got kicked out of the Commons last week for calling Dave, uh, David Cameron dodgy Dave. Um, have you got a name you think would be... I mean, I, I sort of think if you're going to get kicked out for calling him a name in Parliament, you may as well make it a good one. Uh, have you oh. got a preference? <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to swear on this podcast. Oh,
1: um, what do I, do I No, I like this face. <laughs> <laughs> this face is... Um, well, I... Uh, yeah... I don't, I don't want i don't want to swear about <laughs> not, not in public anyway um yeah i think i think yes yeah, Dennis skin is always good value isn't
2: it oh definitely definitely yeah i am um, i just uh, i i think i'd have shouted at least three or four more things before being kicked out just to get <laughs> full full value for money on it definitely <laughs> thanks again to abby for chatting with me this week You can find her on Twitter at Abby Wilkes, that's A-B-I-W-I-L-K-S, and she has a blue tick and everything. Fancy. Uh, Abby's articles are all over the internet as well, so Google her and get reading. It was also really nice to talk to someone about the current state of the Labour Party. I keep meaning to do more about Labour on this podcast, but then other more actually interesting news keeps coming up instead. So I promise I will in a future episode. And yeah, I also realise that my efforts to make this show non-partisan are probably impaired by me being a Labour member, as I said in that interview. But I should say, I hosted an art competition for the Green Party last Saturday, so I'm a total political maverick and I can't be at all trusted. Incidentally, it turns out that at a Green Party-sponsored art competition, they don't recycle all the entries that lose. Because I suppose it would be a bit harsh. I'm hoping to get a mayor or election specialist for next week, but if you've got anyone you'd like me to interview, as I say, every week, um, or if you've got an issue that you'd like me to talk to someone about, then please, please do let me know. You can email me on partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at parpolbro or on Facebook at parpolbro. As of May the 1st, the government's new anti-lobbying clause comes into force. Anti-lobbying, you say? Hooray! It is annoying when people just loiter in the front of hotels, and why are they always playing music that makes me feel absolutely nothing inside? No, the government's anti-lobbying bill isn't anything to do with that, though, or it would probably get a better reception. Ha! Hotel joke. No, uh, instead, it's a clause to stop NGOs, non-government organisations, from lobbying politicians while using government funding. Essentially, if the man is giving you some funds, you don't tell the man his haircut looks like something died on his scalp. That's what's happening there. The problem is that a lot of NGOs include charities who are researching and work in dealing with many social and political issues that will now not be able to say if any of those are affected or worsened by government policies. For example, whether food bank increases due to the DWP's benefit sanctions. Psst, it does. And some of those, in fact lots of those NGOs, are scientists who are doing government-funded research, which may show things like energy policies might be affecting climate change, or perhaps planning laws are ruining forests and harming wildlife. Unless an amendment comes through within the next two weeks, those scientists won't ever be able to speak out or present evidence against the government. Which is an attack on academic freedom, and as David Nutt wrote in The Guardian, not unlike what Stalin did with the ideological control of science in Russia. So not at all scary, eh? I mean, let's be fair, it's not like facts or research have been a big part in any of the government's decisions in the last six years anyway. I mean, ignoring all advice on flooding, or child poverty, or EU migration, or badger culling, or selling the post office, or, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But clamping down on scientists being able to dispute government policies using facts and evidence is really, really worrying indeed. Hopefully an exemption will be made and things will be fine, but if not, I do think the government are messing with the wrong people on this one. I mean, you don't pick adversaries with people who know how lasers actually work or could get together and start researching how to make a virus that only infects those in the cabinet office. Yeah, so they should probably watch out. Okay, so for this week's question of the week, I asked you lot online to give me some better alternate names for the official EU campaigns. Because, yeah, Vote Leave, as I always say, just sounds like it's some sort of pro-tree group. And Stronger In sounds like they've accidentally left words out of a sentence. And judging by your results, the Electoral Commission should really have paid you all tons of money and got you all on board, because they are brilliant. At the Ginger MC went for Votey McVoteface, which somebody had to, didn't they? Uh, at Lord Camomile, are they a real Lord? I don't know. Are they quite chilled out if they are? I don't know. Uh, they went for I want to bruh ache free and e- you're my best friend. Very nice. Um, at Danny B Good went for Unouted Kingdom and United King Kingdom. Un- United Kingdom, Unouted Kingdom. I mean, I like that. I think that'll get confusing. Scott McKeating says Europe split like a big hairy bottom uh, which is horrible and the problem with that is whatever comes out of that will be disgusting and terrifying and really gross, which is probably about right, I guess, either way. That scary duck has gone for Kang V's Kodos, Uh, those are the aliens in the Simpsons I can't work out which one of those would be in or out Uh, let me know, either way, I suppose again, both terrifying aliens uh, that aren't quite human uh i haven't worked that one out at all at nuncio2 has gone for outlandish and incontinent uh, again that could probably apply to either one same with at jane mortimer who's gone for expensive and exhausting again works for either one doesn't it uh, at truloy says that i call vote leave project pollyanna given their apparent belief that all ills are going to be resolved um Again, I think that could probably work for Remain as well. Uh, at Hello Dave goes for EUPU and Europie uh, At Andy Gilder has said that he's going to go with a Fleetwood Mac theme. So either Go Your Own Way for Leave or The Chain for Remain. Nice. Uh, at Daniel Woodrow has got In Glorious Bastards or Inside Out. Uh, nicely filmed themes. and uh, Or Aubergines and Brussels Sprouts. Everyone would go for aubergines, wouldn't they? No one would go for the Brussels sprouts. Uh, at Clown Fist, that's fist with a one. Uh, he's I, this, I really like this. Brit Stick. That's good, isn't it? That's really good. Uh, also, if that doesn't work, I think he could make a really patriotic glue that would appeal very much to UKIP voters. Um, and at Vaughan Earl sent bloody loads, so I'm just going to do a few. I liked uh, Brit Go and Stay Brit. And I liked Vote and Go which sounds like some sort of democratic shampoo. Um, I'm going to post another question on our at Road, Twitter and Facebook account, uh, and I'll, I'll do that this week. Uh, so do check those weekly if you'd like to take part, or basically write jokes for this show for free. I mean, consider it an apprenticeship opportunity that will not give you any work experience that you could ever put on a CV brilliant it's the partly big society a quick Partly Big Society this week, especially as I don't think anyone took part in last week's one, sending fashion suggestions to Samantha Cameron. Um, I did, and if this podcast suddenly stops happening, you can assume they didn't find my letter as funny as I did. Uh, I've put some pictures up of it on the Facebook and Twitter, and I probably shouldn't have circled the pig onesie and suggested it would be good for weekends away with Dave. Anyway, uh, don't forget, you can still take part in any of the previous mini-activism suggestions, uh, though the Hampshire Queen's birthday celebrations are going to be this week. So if you do want to send them party gifts to save the money they could use for Sure Start centres, please do get sent in quickly. Um, I didn't get any suggestions sent in this week, so I thought we could all help the runners at Little Stoke Park in Bristol, who've had their weekly park run cancelled because the Stoke Gifford Parish Council wants to charge them to do it. And this is ridiculous because parks are public spaces and while I'm not a big fan of running myself, I can't say it constitutes paying for wear and tear on the park any more than me say feeding the ducks means I should pay for wear and tear on their bills. Anyway, I thought it would be fun to email Stoke Gifford Council with other activities offering to pay menial sums to do them. For example, uh, something like Dear Sir-Madam, I was thinking of doing a few star jumps in the park on Thursday. I'm worried the repeated jumping up and down would disturb some gravel. I'm guessing I should probably pay you about 20 b for wear and tear. Or, you know, something along those lines. Be imaginative with your part time activities and your funds, if you like. Um, if you go to stokegifford.org.uk, there is a contact form on there. Or you can email them at stoke.gifford at btconnect.com. Yeah, because they have a BT Connect email, not their own one. Uh, if you do send them something, please do send us a copy at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or send a pic to our Twitter or Facebook. Also, I'd be really interested to know what you think of these Partly Big Society sections. Some of you seem very, very keen and are taking part, but I'm worried it's a bit too much effort for others. Shall I keep it up? Let me know. It would be really nice to think that we can make slacktivism an art. <laughs> And that's all for this week's show. Uh, Thank you once again for listening and subscribing. And please do tell other people about this podcast. Or maybe just download it more than three times each. I mean, to be honest, I'll never know. And the numbers will look really great on my stats. Um, And if you want to catch me doing any stand-up live, then do check out my website at tinanddoyeb.co.uk as I've got a few really nice shows coming up, including an hour at MacFest in MacUnlith in Wales at the end of April that is going to be a lot of fun indeed. And that festival is beautiful if you get a chance to go. It's probably one of my favourite festivals of the year. Um, Next week, the show is going to be all about mayoral and local elections. If you want something to not look forward to Uh, on the plus side, whatever happens, Boris Johnson won't be mayor of London anymore, so at least we'll have that. This week's show was brought to you by a very big number. There will be less if we leave Europe. Maybe unless you look at it another way and then it'll be more, maybe. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs>